You're listening to Everyday Humanity. our podcast, Everyday Humanity. We are super excited that you guys are here with us. Part of our process on this podcast is to spend time with you, not only in sharing what the journey of homelessness might look like, but also others in our community who also have maybe perhaps different perspectives about it. Certainly our staff will be on here. Today we have a very important guest that I'm going to have Dennis announce here in a few minutes. But for announce. now, announce. It's, it's, it's super formal. Do you guys remember when you first met us? Like, we're trying to be maybe a little more, like, I don't know. I, we were well, riffing. We, 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 we need Regina to calm down. I know. Well, no. here's the thing, you guys. I promise that I wouldn't talk as much as I normally do. So I'm really trying to rein it in out of the gate, but I've already messed up. So <laughs> with that said, I'm turning it over to Dennis now so that I can, like, not get in trouble this week. <laughs> wow. I get to follow that. Hey, everybody. Uh, it's Dennis. Hey, I'm super excited to uh, introduce to you our friend, but my friend, Delwyn Island. He is not only my friend, he and his wife and their beautiful kids. He's also one of my pastors, and uh, he has just meant the world to me and to my family, but also to Maltrotter Ministries. And um, Delwyn and I, by way of introduction, I'll say this, Delwyn and I were having lunch, I don't know, earlier this summer, and Delwyn said, you know, I just feel like God's putting on my heart that I need to give back to Maltrotter. And um, so we had this great lunch looking at what that might mean. And Delwyn is blessed with the gift of music. Just tell us about you and your family. Wow, that's not a softy, Dennis. I can talk for a long time about my family. Where do you want me to start? Ashley, because she's cool. <laughs> yeah, I can spend the most time talking about Ashley. And your kids, because my daughter babysits there. I want up to you, Beth. Yeah. I am the husband of one wife. Her name is Ashley. She is a pastor, she is a writer, she's a speaker, she is a prophet and a visionary, and uh, she is an outstanding wife, and she's a perfect mom, and she loves relentlessly. Um, our children leave our home every day knowing that they are leaving a safe space because their mother creates that uh -huh. um, she is. Be I need to meet this a, Ashley. Yes, I, yeah, I hope you're listening. That's my husband. <laughs> <laughs> that's one heck of an introduction. Yeah, <laughs> write that down, Isaiah. She is a she is a high achiever. She's the leader in our organization, which is you know our church, a lead past a co lead pastor. Um, she has uh, um, fought through so many voices, whether those be external or internal that have tried relentlessly to convince her that she can't do exactly what she is doing now. And uh, and she's only 34, right? Yeah. So heaven only knows what is to come. We have three children. Brooklyn is our oldest. She's a Christmas Eve baby. And since she was born, she has had eyes that could, you know, pierce your soul. <laughs> You know, you know, they say like babies don't really have clear vision. I, I'm convinced that she had clear vision. Um, she is a listener. We call her an ear hustler because she <laughs> she hears everything. She um, but she remembers so many things and she takes her time. 
She takes life at her own pace. She's an artist. She is extremely articulate. One day we were driving and she pronounced the T in Doritos. <laughs> she said Doritos. Uh, uh, like it is. She's an enunciator. Yeah, yes. very much, very much so. She is empathetic. And I think her, her superpower is her ability, even at six and a half, to synthesize how she's feeling. She she can she can talk about her feelings, I mean, just like in in great detail and, and make you feel like, oh, I'm an adult and I don't know how yeah. to talk like that. <laughs> My son Miles, he's five and a half and energetic, uh, kinetic is the best way to to describe. He is an athlete. He is a, he has a brilliant, intelligent mind that. I mean, just spans all kinds of now. I'm talk. I'm speaking like I'm talking about a, you know, a, a university professor. But I think <laughs> when I think of him, I, I think of him in that light. Just the way he's able to put things together with his mind. He has a fantastic memory as well. And I think um, his superpower is his level of intelligence and his this kind of fearlessness that he has. Our daughter Journey is our baby. We brought her home through adoption February 28th. Was it? Yeah, February 28th of 2019. So almost three years ago. She was just shy of three months when we brought her home. And she lights up a room. She's decisive. She is energetic. She's the best like little dancer. She does this <laughs> every time, you know, one of her shows comes on or music comes on. And I think she does a great a great job of keeping our family balanced and bringing bringing levity when it needs to be brought. She has a, a this no this instinct of like bringing us exactly what needs to be brought, you know, in that time. And so, yeah, she I'm can a read man. the room, read she the room read as the room. we always talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and if the room needs something, she brings it. So she's people smart. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's awesome. I told you I could talk a while about my family. I know, but yeah. that's good. So you grew up in Chicago. Tell us a little bit about your story in Chicago, your yeah. family there, your upbringing. Yeah, so I'm from uh, the south side of Chicago. I was born in the mid-80s at a time when Chicago was rough. And Chicago was, you know, you hear stuff about Chicago now. And Chicago then was different than Chicago is now. Yeah. And, and rougher in a, in a different kind of way. I grew up in a couple of different neighborhoods on the south side. I was born in a neighborhood called Brainerd, just across the street from an elementary school that I ended up going to called Fort Dearborn. And for the first several years, I lived in a house that belonged to my, my, my maternal grandmother, and everybody had lived in that house, right? <laughs> this was like the family house. And so at the time when I lived in there, I shared a room with my oldest sister, Donna. Donna's 12 years older than me. So I'm a little boy sharing a room <laughs> with my 12-year-old sister. My mom and my my dad, I'll talk about my dad in, in a little bit, but my earliest memories, like my mom, my dad lived there. Um, I had an aunt, Sherelle, who, who lived across the hall. She stayed across the hall from me and, and my sister, Donna. And... Sherelle had a daughter named Nikki, and I called Nikki my sister. We grew, one, we grew up in the same house. Two, my aunt was very young when she had her, and she was, you know, she was in the streets, and she decided she didn't really know how to take care of her daughter. And so my mom, 
I found this out later in life. My mom actually legally adopted my cousin, Nikki. And so adoption was a part of my family story long before we ended up adopting. And so, and my uncle Harold, he lived in the basement and... I don't know how much you want me to get in, into that. You know, maybe, I just want to know if that's Sherelle's husband. Like, he in trouble for something? Is that no, why he's doing the basement? No, oh. so, <laughs> <laughs> no, he wasn't like a doghouse situation. <laughs> okay, okay. My mom was one of seven. Oh, my wow. Mom was one of six. She was number five. She was number five of seven. She had five sisters, one brother. Her brother, Harold, lived in the basement. And her youngest, her, like her baby sister, Sherelle, lived across the hall from, from us. And so, you know, our... It was a loving family, really loving family, and, you know, troubled, troubled. So I, you know, I don't want to put my family on blast. Nobody ever wants to do that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I saw things, I saw things at, you know, five, six years old. And my oldest daughter is, my oldest is six, Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I think through her lens, like if, if she were to see some of the things that I saw when I was yeah. five and six years wow. old. Wow, yes. Oh my gosh, it would it would devastate her. And so, uh, yeah, I saw some things really young. And that's not even in the streets. Like, I, I experienced some stuff in the streets, but I saw things in the home uh, that my mom tried desperately to shield me from, which to her equated to, like, shielding me from her family and my family, you know? Okay. And so it was, you know, it was, it was a rough go. And I'm talking in retrospect. As right. a kid, what you see... It's what you think is normal. And so, yeah, I experienced a lot of things. And yeah, by God's grace, I'm still alive and able to talk about it in a coherent way. But uh, those things still affect me. Did you grow up with faith at that point in your life? Like, was your family? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I was I was in church from from very early on. Um, and I I gravitated towards the Bible. So I remember getting this getting this little white Bible with pictures. It wasn't a fully full picture Bible, but like it was an actual Bible. You could read yeah. it, <clears throat> but it had these fun pictures. And I remember I remember being seven. I got this Bible the year that my dad passed. My dad died around Christmas ninety two. I was born in eighty five, so I was seven years old. My dad died around Christmas ninety two, and the same year I got this Bible. And and I heard Bible stories and stuff like that in Sunday school in the church. And I was really, really into it. David and Goliath was like my thing. <laughs> and I remember my mom later on in life, she she told me that we were at a like a church social function and you know, Bible trivia was happening. And one of the preachers was asking a bunch of Bible trivia questions and I just kept raising my hand. And she said, like, she was embarrassed because she thought that I was going to embarrass her and was like, put your hand down, put your hand down. Yeah. And every question he asked, I knew. Every question he asked, I knew, I knew. And she said that that was the thing that made her go, I need to read that Bible too. Really? if, If my son, and at this point, I'm, you know, seven, eight years old. I was a bright kid. I realized later on that, you know, I was, I was actually... Um, a, a bright kid. She said, if my son knows this stuff back and forth, then I need to get my stuff together. And so my mom and I, we we have that kind of relationship where she often says that um, that I ended up inspiring her to certain levels of greatness. Yeah. And as a 
as a boy, I'm a mama's boy, like to hear that kind of stuff is, <laughs> is incredible. So yeah, in church. No, I found it really interesting when you talked about your, your cousin being adopted. And that's same with my family. My mm-hmm. cousin grew up, my aunt was unable to take care of him because of different things. Yep. You know, one foot in the streets, one foot not really yes. wanting to be a mom. So she ended up adopting my cousin when before we were even born. Mm. And so it's it's almost like, you know, you know that this your cousin, but you're raised as siblings. So yeah. that resonated with me because it's... And I often find that sometimes, and even, I don't know if that's normal or you yeah, see that a lot. You see that a lot in <laughs> the African American community. You do. So, well, yeah, that resonated. Yeah. Uh, we have a, a family photo from when I was probably two. It's me, my, my eldest sister Donna, and I'm, I'm dark skinned. My sister Donna, she's probably a shade and a half darker than I am. And Nikki, my other sister, she's light. <laughs> I mean, she, you know, her hair is a different texture. And the, the, everything is different. Uh, her father was—I uh, I don't want to mess up like what he was, but her her father was half African American and like half something else, mm-hmm. and so okay. she looked just like her dad. But yeah, you can see it in these family photos yeah. that something is different. But you know, that's my sister. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So how do you go from? Seven and a half year old boy reading a white Bible with pictures yep. to pastor. Veteran. Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> we need to strap in for this Man. answer. A lot of a lot. So from seven and a half, like I said, my, my pops passed. His name was Walter. That's my guy. He died when I was really, really young. And he was not a man of means. He was uh, he actually couldn't read. You know, he couldn't read. He he came up from Mississippi when he was in maybe his early 20s. He was the youngest of 10. He came up north to find work. So he he showed me how to give. A story about him, and I'll, I'll get to what you're asking. You're fine. I can talk, too. So, Beth. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm you're fine with me, man. I'm, I'm just here for the... Uh, We're in a room part. full of talkers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember one Christmas... He bought one Christmas gift, and it was a set of walkie-talkies, and it was for me. And it didn't buy anything else. And there was another time when some cousins of mine, they were getting ready to go to, it was Myers actually. Myers had just opened up in Chicagoland. And he reached in his pocket. He said, buddy, that's what he called me. That's what I call my son now, too. Oh. He said, buddy, I, I got $10. Here you go. I mean, he gave me his last. Wow. Yeah, marked me uh, tremendously. And so I, I think that still has definitely personal impact on me, but it's it's a way that hopefully I, it's a legacy that hopefully I can. Continue. So from being young, being in church, and then my dad passing, like I went through some years of really kind of disillusioned. And, and remember, I'm also, I'm South Side of Chicago kid. And so right. I'm yeah. in gangland USA. And so when I was young, like eight years old, all of the kids on the block, you know, want to be game bangers. Some of them actually, you know, were putting in work as as young as eight or nine years old. Wow. And so I ended up trying to run with a group of guys and getting in fights and, you know, just being not a great kid in school. It was a mixture of environment. And my mom, you know, like I say, um, single, single mom. So she was working. My oldest sister at this point was off at college. My other sister, Nikki, she was in the streets too. And so I had like 
she was in some ways role model. And then the guys that like the older guys on the block, they were role model too. So I'm like, hey, you know, trying to do what, they, what they're doing. Got in a lot of trouble from, you know, eight until maybe 10 years old. And then my mom, <clears throat> she put me in a choir uh, when I was 11. It's called Walt Whitman and the Soul Children of Chicago. And, and it, I mean, it, it changed my life. You know, this is a, this is a choir that I got the chance to move around, go around the country with and, you know, singing and performing. And, uh, and I found out, I don't know, it was like last year. Oh, early, earlier this year. So the director, his name is Walt Whitman, not the, the poet, um, <laughs> but Walt Whitman from Chicago. He was doing like a, a, a one of these kind of podcasts. And I just chimed in to, you know, to talk a little bit. And he told me a story that I didn't even know from 25 years ago. He said, when your mom brought you, we sat down and had a conversation with her. And she said, you know, essentially I'm at my wits end and, you know, I just, I need help. And he was like, don't worry about it, Miss Island. We got you. This is 25 years ago. Wow. And I'm just learning about it. Yeah. And, you know, but but he was instrumental, a uh, really integral part of of me growing up to be the man that I am now. And so in that choir, I learned cooperation. I learned teamwork. I learned professionalism. I learned about worship and my work now is as a worship pastor. I learned what it what it meant to have a consecrated life. My teenage years would challenge that. But like I, I learned <laughs> that um when I was a, as a part of this choir. And so I did that for eight years from 11 until 19 and got the chance to, like I say, you know, just go all yeah. over. The, maybe midway in there, I was 15 years old and got a job as a junior counselor at a camp here in Allegan, Michigan. Oh, really? Allegan, Michigan. It's called Camp Beach Point. Yes. And so I was there. It was a, it's a, like a nine week like a nine-week summer camp, but each week is like different campers. And I'd initially signed up for two weeks. <laughs> I did my two weeks, and I said, well, you know, can I stay? And they just kept letting me stay. So I, I ended up doing seven of the nine weeks. And uh, one of those weekends when the, the campers were gone, the camp director took us in town and took us to like a, a concert. And there was a guy named Phil Joel from a band called the Newsboys. Yes. And Phil Joel was, yeah, put out a, a record and just heard the music. I was like, really, I really like this. You know, there's yeah. something about the sound of it. And and also that same summer, one of the, I think like the camp nurse, she took us to a, a church in Kalamazoo. And I was sitting next to a buddy of mine and there was a, a musician up playing music. And I had been a part of this choir, but I never understood what praise and worship, you know, style of music was. And this guy was up leading worship and I was just blown away. And I told my buddy, like, I think that's what I'm supposed to do, man. I was 15. Wow. 15. I was 15. Wow. And I didn't play an instrument, anything like that. I, you know, I could sing, but I, other than that, it was, that was that. And so I, I think those are the, the early seeds of who I am now. And you're not know, fast forward so many years. Just been given opportunities to lead in churches in Chicago, a uh, church that I kind of grew up in, Salem Baptist Church of Chicago, kind of cut my teeth there and had great mentors and uh, just great opportunities to serve the local community, serve as a student leader and a student worship pastor. And then from there, went 
and worked at a church called Willow Creek in Chicago and I was there for uh, eight years and then now, is that where you met Ashley? Did you meet her at Willow? I met or? my wife the first day of work at Willow. Did you really? The very first day. And then how long until you guys were married? 18 months, maybe. Okay. I'm sure she could clear that up for us, but yeah, yeah, she... we'll, we'll go with 18 months. <laughs> I want to say it was 18 months. Okay, let's yeah. we'll go with that. <laughs> first day of work. Yeah. Yeah. First day of work. I love that story. Just about your whole. You're 15, and you're just like, "This is what I'm supposed to do," you know. And yeah. so, for you listeners right here, I'm I'm sitting across from Del, and I'm looking at him with a hat that says "Kindness, pass it on." But to his left is a, a Gibson guitar. So at the end of this, you guys, you're not you're not changing oh. the channel right about now because we're gonna put him on the spot so he can actually play and sing for us. I yeah, and wait. we promise that we will not sing with I, him. I don't promise. Oh, okay. Oh, well, I'm, gonna well, sing. I'm out. I'm out because we want people to come back next week. Okay, <laughs> so. <laughs> All right, so why move from Chicago to Grand Rapids? Yeah, great move question. Move your whole family around the lake. So I talked about my wife at the very beginning. She, she was approached with an opportunity to, um, to come. She, she had come here to Marcel Church. And she taught, you know, like on a random July Sunday where the lead pastor was out. And afterwards, she was approached to say, hey, is this something that you'd be interested in? I don't think the folks at Mars knew then about me. And so somebody did some recon and found (laughs) out, oh, wow. They're kind of like a package deal, you know, like <laughs> spiritual recon. Yeah, so somebody <laughs> found out, and so we went. We went on and a year long discussion and discernment process about the possibility of moving our family. We opened it up with, uh, with just praying, God show us some clarity about you know what yeah. what should we do, yeah. and that night. <clears throat> That night, this was this was Super Bowl. This was the night of the Super Bowl, 20, 2018 or twenty nineteen. I had come up and I led a weekend, like led a, a church service at Mars. Came back and we just said, "Okay, God, if 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 this is for us, just." And so, uh, this was this. Was, I'm sorry, this is exactly what I asked for: burning bush clarity, mm-hmm. burning bush clarity. Like for those that are listening, may not know, a guy named Moses, Old Testament of the Bible had run away from his life as an as an Egyptian and now is a is a, a herder of sheep working for his father-in-law and he goes out on this mountain and he hears the voice of God and the 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 image of a burning bush like a bush that was on fire but wasn't actually on fire so I asked for that kind of clarity <laughs> that clears it up yeah. I asked for that kind of clarity walk outside we're going to the Super Bowl party and I had never paid attention and we lived on a street called Crimson and the nearest cross street was Burning Bush. I, ca- I can't make this stuff up. Are you kidding? I cannot make this stuff up. I never paid attention to the fact that, you know, the nearest cross street is we live on Crimson and Burning Bush. And so I was like, okay. Uh-huh. I laughed a little bit. Okay. <laughs> Got it. I see what you're saying. Um, and so, but we went on this, this discernment process. And at the end of it, we came to the conclusion and felt it within ourselves that God was going to be with us whether we stayed where we were or whether we moved. And that the clarity that we saw it was just that. 
like this whole discernment process was to make us closer disciples, like, and not just asking for that silver bullet moment, but trusting that whatever you whatever you do, like, to, if you to you go to the left, you go to the right, you know that that the presence of the Lord is going to be there, and that we will be covered. And so uh, we made the decision with tears. You know, we came from a great community. Uh, Ashley and I, we. Um, we led a, a part of the Willow Creek community, uh, our Wednesday night services, and we had a congregation, and it was it was fantastic. And so we left, you know, with love. But we decided that ultimately Mars Hill was where we wanted to do ministry. That was a great opportunity afforded to Ashley and myself here, and that this would be a great place for our family. You know, it'd be a great place for our kids to grow up, place for she and I to uh, grow old. And so uh, yeah, we made that call. And, and Mars Hill is located in Granville, and part of the part of the story of Ashley and Delwyn coming up here was this desire of Mars Hill to think about what the expression of of faith through our church would look like in Grand Rapids. And you know, we we sit in a time that arguably is one of the most divided times in our country's history. Yeah, and we're divided about a lot of things, politics and everything, but we're also very divided about race. And I know part of the decision for you and Ashley to come up here was to be a part of racial reconciliation through the church. Yeah. So could you just speak from from your lens about your heart for yeah. reconciliation and, and what you see and what God's telling you? Yeah. One of one of Paul's letters, he starts it by, and I forget the exact letter, but he starts it by addressing a, a vast array of people. And included in this letter, there are, you know, people who are Jewish, there are uh, folks that are Greek, there are men, there are women. Um, And I think what he's doing is outlining, these are the people that I consider to be my co-laborers in my family. Throughout his writings, uh, Paul talks about Timothy, who was someone he was discipling. He, He talks about Barnabas, who was somebody who, in a sense, discipled him. He talks about coming under the Christ who he had only ever met in a vision, but all of the other people that he talked about were actual living people. And then we get in this particular letter, and I'm so sorry, everybody, for not remembering exactly. That's why we have Google. He says, there is no Jew or Greek. There is no slave or free. There is no woman or man, but heirs to the promises of God or heirs to the promise of God. And I think what he's saying in that is... As co-laborers, as children of God, as, as heirs to this promise, to him, we all look alike. We all have equal inheritance. And I think where, where we have gotten it wrong in our society is there is Jew, and there is Greek, and there is woman, and there is man, and there is Latinx, and there is white, and there is black. And for some reason, in our purview, we're all different and, 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 and don't really look at it from a heaven's view. The way that I try to go about ministry is appreciating those differences that we all have and actually acknowledging and celebrating the fact that we all have different, you know, ethnic heritage. We've all uh, grown up differently, whether you're Dutch, maybe you're Dutch listening to this, or, you know, if you're African-American listening to it or Irish-American yeah. or Latinx. There are all of these beautiful differences, and yet in the kingdom of God, 
we are all joint heirs. Like we're all giving this, given the same equivalent slice of this inheritance. Mm-hmm. And so for me, when I think about racial reconciliation, it is, an, it is the idea of celebrating the things that make us different and living into the things that make us um, equal and not allowing the things that make us different be, be the things that divide us. No, let's 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 flip that coin because on the other side of it, on the other side of dislike or you know hatred or uh, disapproval or you name the the negative, whatever is curiosity and it's celebration mm-hmm. and it's approval and it's love, and so I think the church of Jesus Christ is uniquely positioned because this is what we. Like th- this is what we espouse, like the 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 idea that you know this the church was was started by Hebrew people, and then it went to Rome, and then it you know it it made its way to Greece, and it made its way to India, and eventually it, it made its way to Africa, and it made, and it made its way to America, the country that you know if you're listening that you're probably sitting in. The church is uniquely positioned because of our heritage and because of our history, because it started as one thing and it has spread to be another thing across all of these different groups of people. We're uniquely positioned, wherever, whatever your locality is, to continue on that inheritance and not make it smaller, but continue to make it wider. Yeah, it's a giant amen to that. And the thing that stuck out for me among all of that is the part where you say, you know what, we, we have to focus on the things that unite us rather than divide us. And a lot of that goes to history. And so you shared with us your upbringing, your story, right? Mm -hmm. We all are here to to share about that because I think people um, fear what they don't understand. That's it. And so the understanding that we have to have is tell me your story. Tell me what I don't know about you so that I can fix this narrative that I have in my head that I picked up along the way without actually living that experience. Mm. And so honestly, that is what we do here, right? At Mel Trotter is that we say, let us tell you the stories of our guests, because presumably you haven't experienced what they've experienced. Mm-hmm. You haven't experienced a situation of homelessness. Hey guys, it's Beth. How amazing is Delwin? Our conversation with him was so amazing that we just kept going. We are splitting this episode into two parts, and I want you to join us next week as we conclude our conversation with Delwin, because you're gonna hear his yet again, amazing guitar playing and singing skills as he promised. So as always, thank you for joining us today on Everyday Humanity.